Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our conversations podcast where we spend a bit of time talking about the type of people that we want to become in our communities and in our homes. We hope that this encourages you to live a little bit more like Jesus taught us. God bless you. Micah, and I'm here today with Corey. Hello, everyone. And this is our Conversations podcast, and in that, we've got uh, a little mini-series that we've been working through. Here at Emmanuel, we've got a document that we call our Cultural Aspirations, our, our Values document, and the whole idea behind it is that it describes the type of people that we want to be, that uh, the val- these values are pretty close to what we think are important. And in this conversations podcast about the type of people we want to be, we decided that it would be good to uh, work through those every now and then. So this is probably our fourth or fifth conversation about a value from that document, which you can still find on our Facebook page. But Corey, the the topic that we're dealing with today is kind of uh, an interesting one. Yeah, so today we're talking about obedience and submission to God, that this is one of the primary descriptors of what a relationship to God is like. We are people who obey him. We are people who submit to him. And it really gets at the definition of what the gospel really is. I like what one of our friends describes as if you just have a few seconds and somebody asks you what the gospel is, the one word answer is Jesus. Yeah. But the three word answer is Jesus is Lord. And that word Lord is not one that's used in our culture very much probably has to be translated some and it means though that we obey him that we submit to him that he's the one we look to what he says goes and that has uh, some pretty significant implications for what it means to be uh, the people of god a people of god uh, here at emmanuel now it can be kind of an unpopular topic because as soon as you say obedience and submission in a north american context most people's ears and imaginations wander off to human abuses. Uh, and, well, Corey and Micah, are you you know, setting yourselves up as the ones in charge? And that's not at all what we're driving at with this value in the values document. The whole idea is that we submit everything uh, to what God reveals to us in Scripture. This is the value that's one of the hardest to translate in our culture because... Just even as communicators, Micah, you and I, we struggle. What's the metaphor these days? Back in Jesus' day and in New Testament times, the metaphor was the king, Yeah. right? That God is the king. But that's difficult. I get people coming up to me sometimes saying, can you find a better word than that to use to describe? Because that concept, though, we've got to find ways to describe that in our culture. Where are the places where obedience and submission happen well and they're positive reference yeah these days and frankly just about everything has been tainted so maybe as we talk about it today uh, we mean the very best of these examples mm-hmm. uh, so you know an example of uh, obedience and submission uh, probably the first one that comes to my mind is within the context of marriage that uh, at, when you get married uh, you are on the lookout for the best for your other half, your, your partner. Uh, and you are willing to lay down your own personal desires so that their life can go better. Uh, at least that's at 
my understanding, pretty core to a marriage relationship, that you're always looking out for the very best of the other person. Uh, now, the church is sometimes referred to as the bride of Christ, but as followers of Jesus, that's really what we're suggesting, is that uh, to be you know, Jesus as Lord, we are willingly saying our personal preferences take a back seat to whatever is best for Christ's kingdom. I think the mistake we often make coming to this is thinking about it in terms of power, mm. that it's some power game that we're playing. And so marriage is a fantastic analogy because even what the Bible describes marriage as is mutual submission. Yeah. And what people miss, even in our relationship with God, it is a healthy relationship of mutual submission. And the obedience itself even comes from someone who sacrifices first for us. Yeah. So in other words, how obedience works is this. God gives everything for us. He gives us life. He gives us breath. We fail, we fall, the Bible says. And even then, God doesn't let us go. But he offers himself in our place. He stands in our place on the cross and he gives himself up for us. Yeah. And so our obedience is even a grateful obedience. It's done out of love. It's not done out of duty. It's not done out of forcefulness. It's not some power play. And so it totally changes the dynamics. And I want to get that out of the way first because, well, why do we obey? Why do we submit? We do it gratefully because it's someone who loves us, has, like you said, our best interests at heart, and he's given everything for us already. Well, there's a, a passage in Scripture which goes, while we were yet sinners, he died for us, which mm. is a, an old-fashioned way of saying, while we were still enemies, he stepped in and, and made us friends. Mm. And because of that sacrifice, as you were saying, we, what could we do that would, like, how could we ever think that this would be a power play? Uh, he's given so much for us already. And now that we've kind of got that out of the way, I want to talk a little bit about obedience not being a simple, easy thing mm -hmm. either, because so often we equate this whole issue with the old, what, 1980s, maybe early 1990s WWJD movement, right? Well, there was that. I, I was just remembering a t-shirt that I used to see around when I was growing up in the church, which was, uh, uh, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Right. Right, it, it's just let's boil it down to a nice black and white and make everything simple. And obedience, as you're starting to say, isn't isn't that simple? No, and the word that I would use for it, the first word is grateful. Mm. It, and I've, I've I've explained that just a moment ago. But the second word is costly. Every time in the scriptures that I see obedience worked out, it's not just a word like obey do this it's worked out in people's lives yeah it's worked out in the life of jesus where he's going to the cross and he's struggling with that decision you know he knows he's going to do it yeah and he's not turning back but he's wrestling with all of the conflicting emotions he has and for him obedience was costly leading up to the cross and even in the cross i think about the christmas story i was just doing some planning uh, for christmas in the terms of the message series and almost every character in the Christmas story, there's a costly love that's there. Mary, she gave up a lot. She took a huge risk. Joseph, he gave up a lot. He took a huge risk both in his eyes and the eyes of others yeah. that obedience costs. So it's not just some light thing. And if you took a look in our, our worship space, you would see that, that 
scripture verse that's been there now for a couple of years where it talks about Jesus calling us to pick up our cross and to follow him. That's costly obedience. Now, Corey, um, one of the the human responses when we see this uh, obedience and submission and reflect on how costly it can be is that we tend to offload that cost to somebody else. What do you mean? Well, I'm thinking back to the T-shirt that I I uh, was referencing a few seconds ago. The whole idea behind that was if you were arguing with somebody else, uh, it's too bad for them. I've got scripture. I'm beating you over the head with it. It's my way now, not yours. And in there's absolutely a point where we, yeah, no, no, God says something. We need to stand that way. But in obedience and submission, the first target should actually be our own souls. That uh, we shouldn't be looking for other people to pay the price. It's, no, no, when when God calls us to do something, it costs us something. Not, you know, our friend down the road or a neighbor or somebody that we need to lecture and correct. It's it's submitting our own souls. And I, at least in my own life, I find that so often I'm thinking, well, they just need to be more obedient. Hmm. And the reality is actually, no, I need to be, and I need to pay the price as well. Yeah, and that's there are at least two dimensions of our obedience, or two worlds that that needs to live in and take root in. Number one is personally, mm. and that's what you're talking about. And the second is corporately, as a church, how do we obey God? But that first one is where it all begins. It's the blind spots in our lives, right? Yeah. Searching for the blind spots where we look at other people and say, oh, man, Life would be so much better for them if they obeyed God, but being somewhat blind to our own lives yeah. and the things that, that we do. So let's talk a little bit about what are some of the ways that it gets worked out in our own lives personally. And I, the first one I would pick, and maybe there's something that you want to share, is in relationships. That's where I, I just see relationships are so messy. They're so complicated. It is hard in 2015 when we're talking this day to obey God and to try to please him when it comes to our relationships. And that could be in selecting our, uh, the partners that we're going to share the rest of our lives with. That could, uh, that could be in terms of how do I act honorably in my relationships? How does, how is sex a part of our relationships? It's really difficult because we want to, be squeezed into the mold of our culture. And we have to be people who say that in all my relationships that I'm striving to live with the integrity that God wants me to live with. I'm striving not to please myself or do what's expected of me by my friends or by the culture. And I'm truly going to choose God's way. So that'd be one example for me of how obedience works itself out personally. I think uh, another one, and I'm, I'm still figuring this out in my own life, would be in our discipleship, our personal discipleship. Because so often, I want God to care about the things I care about. And I want Him to be worked up about the things I'm worked up about. Uh, And it may be that God is working on my life in another area. Uh, That, you know, Mikey, you need to not care so much about this issue or that issue and, and getting annoyed at other people. And you need to give up uh, some of the things that you've enjoyed. Uh, one of the, the uh, myths I think that we've accidentally perpetuated over the years is that somehow discipleship, you know, becoming 
one who looks like Jesus to our friends and family, that discipleship is easy and pleasant all the time. It produces a, a crop of great joy, but it is personally costly. And I guess we're going around the same topic that we were talking about earlier, but for me, that's one that, that stands out. Sure, those are a couple of examples. The ideal is to be like Jesus, who said in John chapter 8 and verse 29 about his father, I always do what pleases him. Mm. That's the goal. It seems like it is almost an impossible, an impossibility, but with the Holy Spirit living inside and it is our desire that we always do what pleases our father. And it is so easy to make our cares. You know, we just assume that those are the things that please our father, that, you know, our cultural standards are the ones that please God. And that's, that's just not it. So, so now the last couple of minutes, I think we should talk a little bit about that second dimension and it's harder how do you apply it? Uh, we find it hard enough to apply it to our own individual lives. Well, you talk about 500 people or or just a group of people, choose three people yeah. and try to apply that corporately. And it just gets convoluted and complicated. How do we obey God? How do we submit to God as a church? And I want to ask that now. I, I guess for me, the first thing I would say to that is that we are, we have to be, we have to be a church that doesn't do it the Baptist way. We have to be a church that doesn't even, not even a church that does it the Emmanuel Baptist way, mm. because it's not about tradition. It's not about identity of who we are. It is about, we are marching in lockstep with Jesus. We've got to find his heart and we cannot afford to operate or operate or make decisions that aren't in perfect harmony with what he wants to do. In other words, Jesus has to be the leader of our church. I got to say that outright because there's a little bit of misconception. I am not the, I'm a leader in this church, but I am not the boss of course of this church and neither is the congregation. We are, we have to be completely submitted to God. Now, how does that work itself out? Because I know Micah, you and I have been at meetings and big meetings and little meetings where you, we all sit around and wondered, are we doing what God wants us to do here? But nobody ever seems to ask that question. Well, you know, sometimes that meeting happens in my head with the other voices that occupy my own brain, and I'm not convinced I'm doing what God wants. But it, it's still something that we need to uh, wrestle through. And Honestly, Corey, maybe you could push back on this one because I could be totally wrong. I have a hard time imagining that if I'm not being submitted in my personal walk, hmm. that I will be able to lead in a meeting that that group of people to submit themselves corporately to God's walk. Hmm. And I think that's one of the, you know, we, we often don't ask that question enough is how are we doing personally? with our our discipleship to Christ. But what we learn personally, we can apply corporately because just like in our own lives, so often we can be tempted to live to please ourselves. It's true as a church too. When it comes to any decision. What's the path of least pain is often the question that's in the background of all of our decisions. So I think we've got to ask that all around. At every leadership table in our church, we've got to ask it in our big meetings. Rather than ask about what we want, we've got to ask, what does God want here? Yes. What does God yes. care about here? And so we hope as a church that you'll keep us on track that way. I'll, I'll love it. I mean, I might look at you cross-eyed for a little while. Uh, <laughs> you know, if, if I'm, you know, making some big poetics, brave heart speech, and then you ask the question, well, what, 
what do you think God wants us to do? Yeah. Um, but that's the right question. I, yeah. I, I need you to ask that question more and more because I know that's the question that I want to ask. Well, it's, it's a question we all need to be asking each other. And I will say this. Uh, this is my last thought on this. If we are a church that is obeying God, what kind of church does he want? There's a whole, I mean, it's a long answer to that question, but at its heart, I believe that God wants us to be a church that has his heart to reach the lost. Bar none. That's the, I think the most critical thing. If you're, we're going to be a church, we can get a lot of things wrong, but we can't get that one wrong because that a church that obeys God and submits to him is doing that. I feel like I might've heard that in scripture before. It just seems like something Jesus would say. Anyway, that's probably enough on that topic for today. Uh, we're grateful that you tuned in to uh, join in this conversation. As always, you can uh, get a hold of us here at the office, office at emmanuelturo.org. Uh, and we'd love it if you keep asking us that question and uh, encouraging all of us to be submitted to God's leading. God bless you and have a great day.